Hi there! Welcome to Explain This, a podcast where we try to explain complex things in simpler ways for people of all ages. I'm your host Jin Kim, and today we'll talk about why and how we get fevers when we're sick. Let's get started. If there's one universal truth, it's that almost all of us have had a fever before, unless you have some crazy weird immune deficiency. And I'm not talking about the cool kind of fever, like Saturday night fever or dance fever, but the terrible kind, where you feel hot and cold at the same time, shivering uncontrollably, feeling achy all over, and you know, just feeling uncomfortable being in your own skin. A fever is when the body responds to inflammation, usually some kind of infection, by raising its body temperature. A normal body temperature fluctuates, but it's kept within a narrow band around 36.5 degrees Celsius. That's 97.7 in Fahrenheit for all the American listeners. Medically speaking, we say you have a fever if your temperature is above 38 degrees, or 38.5 if you're a kid. When you have a fever, you feel really uncomfortable and hot, but you also start shivering and feeling chills, which feels paradoxical. So why does our body do this to us? Why would it want us to feel even more unpleasant when we're already sick? Let's start by explaining how fevers work as if you're a five-year-old. Which feels ironic because kids get fevers all the time. Imagine that you're enjoying a lovely chill afternoon at home with the thermostat set at the perfect temperature so that you can feel cool and relaxed and comfy. But then you get an unwanted guest. Maybe it's a salesman that's very persistent in trying to sell you a new vacuum cleaner. Or maybe it's that annoying friend or aunt that never takes the hint to leave you alone. Anyway, you try everything to get them to leave, but they're not budging. So what can you do? Well, if you want to be super passive-aggressive, you can tamper with your thermostat. You sneakily grab that remote like a ninja, and crank up the room temperature to a very uncomfortable 40 degrees. And to help the process, you're going to close all the windows and turn all the heaters on, just in case it's not warm enough. Sure, it's going to feel gross and sticky for you as well, but it's worth it to drive out your unwanted guest. I mean, eventually, Aunt Karen is going to leave because her skin condition is going to flare up from all the sweating or something. It's not like you're paying attention to her ramblings anyway. And huzzah! You've defeated your enemy, or in this case, Aunt Karen, with the power of heat. And welcome back. So, as weird as it seems, a thermostat is the perfect analogy for how fevers work. Your body is made up of cells, and cells are like tiny factories with lots of teeny tiny machines called enzymes. These enzymes are made of proteins, which means that they work best at around 36 degrees Celsius. Huh, what a coincidence. That's what your body temperature is, right? Well, that's because your body is literally designed to keep the enzymes working at peak performance. To do this, your body works tirelessly to tweak little knobs here and there to keep things like body temperature, blood acidity, sugar levels, etc. in a nice, cozy zone for enzymes to work well in. We call this homeostasis. In the case of body temperature, the mastermind behind all the homeostasis is a part of your brain called the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus works like a thermostat. It sets a normal temperature, then it sends up commands to keep the temperature around that set point. It might make you sweat and pan to cool down, or shiver and wrap a blanket around yourself to warm up. So all the body needs to do to generate a fever is 
Turn up the body temperature slider, say from 37 degrees to 39 degrees. Then the automatic processes in the body will do the rest, much like a thermostat or an air conditioner. Your body starts using fat and proteins to produce heat. The blood vessels in your skin will squeeze shut so you lose less heat. Side note, this is also why you feel chills because your skin isn't expressing all that heat away. And you shiver so that your muscles generate mad heat. When you don't need a fever anymore, because your body's fought off the invaders, the hypothalamus chills out, <laughs> get it, and resets the thermostat set point back to a breezy 37 degrees, and your body cools down to match the temperature. It's as simple as that. But that only tells us how we get fevers. Why in the world do we get fevers? Well, you remember how the cells in our body want our body temperature in a tight, narrow band so they can work optimally? Well, the same applies to all kinds of other proteins, such as bacteria or viruses. So it seems that evolution, being the clever cookie she is, figured out that if we raise our body temperature just high enough and long enough that we don't kill ourselves in the progress, we can slow down infection so that our immune system can destroy and mop them up. It's similar to why we boil our water or cook our food to prevent infectious diseases like cholera and salmonella. Interestingly, our immune system seems to be designed around fevers because white cells that do all the fighting and killing are activated and they work better when we're running hot. Fevers almost work like an alarm system. When we get an infection, either proteins from the infection, like lipopolysaccharides, now that's a word of the day, or immune reactions, like white cells detecting the infections, trigger the fever by alerting the hypothalamus. We call the things that trigger fevers pyrogens, pyro meaning fire in Latin. Oh, I do love how Latin makes everything sound so much cooler. Like, when you see on your discharge summary, pyrexia of unknown origin. Which sounds super dangerous, but then you realize it's medical technobabble for, yo, we don't know why your baby's so hot. Anyway, pyrogens not only alert the hypothalamus to bring the heat, but it also causes your body to release immune signals called cytokines, making you, well, making you feel sick. This is called sickness behavior, and it's the reason why you feel so crappy and bleh when you're unwell with a cold or a tummy bug. It's unpleasant but it works in that you stay in bed and conserve energy, rather than spreading your germs or wasting energy being inefficient and unproductive because you're coughing every two minutes. Stay at home when you're sick, people. So to review, when an infection enters the body, the body detects pyrogens and sounds an alarm. The hypothalamus hears the alarm, sets the thermostat to a higher set point, and the body responds by generating and conserving heat, while making you feel sick so that you can focus your energy on fighting the infection. The high temperature activates your immune system while suppressing the invading infection, so your body can kill the infection dead and you get to live another day. Alright, let's take a short break so you can digest all that. After the break, we'll talk about when fevers get ugly, how we treat fevers, and a very peculiar medical treatment that involved triggering a fever on purpose. And we're back. So we learned about how fevers are a clever way for the body to fight infections, by burning it. But what about our own cells? How come we don't cook ourselves dead in the process? Fortunately, our cells can tolerate some heat for some duration of time. The goal of a fever is to kill the infection with the immune system in time, so theoretically, it shouldn't last long enough to damage the body in the process. But at the same time, if the temperature is high enough, it will start causing harm. You'll note that even with a quote-unquote high fever, the body temperature rarely goes much higher than 40 degrees. This is because above 41.5 degrees, the proteins that keep us alive start to literally cook and change shapes, 
making them useless. Over a prolonged period of time, you start to get brain damage. A body temperature above 42 degrees is, as we call it in the medical world, incompatible with life. Fortunately, it is very, very rare that an infection will drive your body temperature this high. Although many parents freak out when their kids have temperatures of 40 degrees. The body is surprisingly resilient and the homeostasis system is pretty damn robust. More often, the cause of such a high body temperature is some other abnormal process, like heat stroke, certain kinds of poisoning, or a rare deadly condition called malignant hypothermia that can happen in some people as a reaction to anesthesia. In these cases, the problem isn't the thermostat being set too high, but there being too much heat for the body to cool down from. So we need to actively cool them with fans, wet flannels, ice, cooling blankets, or more extreme measures like pouring cold water into the bloodstream, bladder, or chest. There's another weird kind of fever that you can get when you have a severe head injury or a brain bleed. If you damage the hypothalamus, the thermostat can get broken, and the body heats up for no good reason. But these are all pretty extreme and, fortunately, not so common. More often than not, the reasons why we'd want to treat a fever is because it's uncomfortable. I mean, if you've ever looked after a kid with a cold, you can see how irritable and angry and pissed off at life they are, but beautiful happy angels when they've had some medicine and the fever's broken. So let's turn our attention to how we can treat fevers. Okay, so like I said before, fever itself isn't particularly dangerous, unless it's extremely high. But at the same time, it's very unpleasant. It raises your heart rate, dehydrates you, and overall increases your body's oxygen requirement. Plus, research shows that reducing fevers don't negatively impact people's recovery from infections, so we might as well make our patients feel better, right? There are three main approaches to treating fever. The first is obvious. Treat the cause. Sometimes in the hospital, we can get a bit too caught up chasing numbers, so it's important to actually figure out where the fever is coming from and treat the cause. Fevers aren't always a sign of infection. It can happen from other inflammatory conditions such as from blood clots, autoimmune reactions, and many other causes. If it is an infection, we want to figure out where the infection is so we can help the body fight it. In terms of actually dropping the fever, simple things like cooling the person down can work, but we generally don't advise people taking ice baths or cranking up the air conditioner because it doesn't really help. The third and most helpful solution is medication. There are two main medicines we'll touch on, paracetamol, or acetaminophen if you live in the US, and ibuprofen, or Advil if you live in the US. But seriously, why does the USA make things so difficult for us with different drug names and spelling? But I digress. So first, there's ibuprofen, or brufen, or neurofen, or Advil, depending on what brand you get. Ibuprofen is what we call a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, or NSAID, which is a very fancy way of saying that it reduces inflammation and is not a steroid. And doctors have a way of making even simple things sound complicated, right? Ibuprofen works by interfering with enzymes that work in the inflammatory pathways, stopping it from producing chemicals that fuel the inflammation. Essentially, it's telling the body just to cut it out and stop the inflammatory response. This is why it's such a great pain relief as well, especially inflammatory pain from joint sprains or arthritis. So how does that treat fever? Well, you remember our old friend the hypothalamus? The way the hypothalamus changes the temperature set point is by releasing chemicals like prostaglandins that fuel inflammation. Therefore, ibuprofen interferes with this too, telling the hypothalamus to just stop it, and it resets the thermostat. 
Next up is paracetamol. You've probably all had paracetamol or Panadol before, whether it's for a headache, a sprained ankle, or a cold. It's one of the most popularly prescribed medications because it's a simple but effective pain relief and it can help reduce fever. So how does it work? Well, here's the awkward thing. We don't actually know. As much as we use paracetamol and as much as we know its effects, we don't exactly know how it reduces pain and fever. It probably also has something to do with resetting the thermostat in the hypothalamus. That's strange, right? Well, at least it works. Combining paracetamol and ibuprofen is particularly effective for reducing fever. In children especially, paracetamol and ibuprofen seem to work like magic at dropping the kids' temperature and making them feel so much more comfortable. Now, as a doctor, I do have to insert a small PSA that you should always read the instructions so you don't take more than the recommended dose, and to avoid ibuprofen if your doctor told you not to have it, or you have stomach ulcers, etc. But just, just please read the box or consult a doctor other than me before you take medical advice from the show. Well, that's enough teaching you basic medicine. Let's close out this episode with an interesting story about fever. How doctors used fever as a medical treatment. Alright. Strap yourselves in because this story is wild. So back in the way back times, pre-1900, a specific infection was running rampant in Europe and ruining people's lives in various ways. The English and Germans called it the French disease. The French, they called it the Italian disease. The Dutch called it the Spanish disease and the Turks called it the Christian disease. Imagine that, a disease so bad that you never want to be associated with it. Well, this infamous disease is, of course, syphilis, a sexually transmitted disease. Nowadays, syphilis doesn't seem like a big deal, but back then it was a huge deal. First of all, syphilis is sexually transmitted, so there was a huge stigma and shame associated with having it. So no one wanted to admit that they had it. Huh, I guess that part hasn't changed still. Secondly, syphilis is actually a pretty serious illness if left untreated. Eventually, it progresses until it infects various parts of the body, leaving you with facial disfigurement and brain damage. The last stage of syphilis is neurosyphilis, which can cause personality changes, nerve destruction, paralysis, and paralytic dementia. Not fun at all. Please wear a condom, people. And because this is the 1800s, there was no cure for it. They tried all sorts of lovely medications like mercury and arsenic, that ended up being more poisonous than the actual disease. But in the early 1900s, just before antibiotics were discovered, some clever doctors figured out that they could kill syphilis in a completely different way. Fever. You see, syphilis is a bit of a wuss when it comes to temperature, so it can be killed if a person has a high enough fever. Alright, well, how can we artificially cause a fever? Well, you could wrap the patient up in a blanket, put them near a fireplace, and get them all hot and bothered. Or, you could trigger a fever with pyrogens, just like we talked about before. Huh. Well, where can we find a good pyrogen? Oh, you'll never guess what these crazy doctors did. They injected the patients with, wait for it, malaria. Yep, that's right, the deadly mosquito-borne infection that still kills 400,000 people a year. What the flip? It sounds a bit overkill, right? What's the point of injecting another deadly infection in someone who's already battling against a deadly infection? Well, you see, back then they couldn't treat syphilis, but they could treat malaria. 
So what they would do is deliberately infect a patient with malaria, trigger a fever up to a toasty 41 degrees, wait for the syphilis bug to get all cocked up, then treat the malaria with drugs like quinine. And voila, no more syphilis. I mean, you still had a 3-20% to chance of dying just from the malarian fever, but voila. The craziest part is that Dr. Julius Wagner-Jorek, the Austrian doctor who invented pyrotherapy or malaria therapy, he got a Nobel Prize in medicine for this work. And to be fair, it's the best shot they had back then to treat neurosyphilis, which is a terminal illness if left untreated. So it was really a lesser of the two evils kind of situation. Well, that's all she wrote, sports fans. Welcome to the crazy world of medical history. Sometimes I wonder what I do now at work will be considered outlandishly crazy in a hundred years' time. Alright, so what did we learn today? First, we learned that fevers are the body's way of responding to an infection, activating the immune system, and slowing the infection down. Second, we learned that the body does this by setting the default body temperature to a higher set point using the hypothalamus, much like a thermostat. Third, we learned that medicines like paracetamol and ibuprofen treat fever by resetting the said thermostat. Fourth, we talked about the dangers of high temperatures and how you can literally cook your brain if it gets too high. Fifth, despite this, doctors intentionally caused high fevers in patients in the early 1900s to treat syphilis, because the risk of cooking your brain is better than the certainty of having your brain rot away from syphilis. Think about that the next time you need penicillin. Penicillin, it's better than having malaria injected into your bloodstream, am I right? Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Explain This. I hope you learned something interesting, and maybe even useful today. Oh yeah, someone told me that after listening to last week's episode on New Year's resolutions, they motivated themselves to set monthly goals for the new year instead of a resolution, yay! Nothing makes me happier than hearing how this podcast is making a positive impact on your lives. So feel free to leave a comment or send me an email. Always appreciate feedback and some lovely words. Alright, we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Explain This was written and hosted by me, Jin Kim. If you'd like to suggest a topic or just send a lovely message, you can email me at explainthiscast at gmail.com or follow me on Facebook or Twitter. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.